0: The year is 1995. A disaffected Gulf War veteran named Timothy McVeigh bombs a federal office building in Oklahoma City, killing 168 people, 19 of them infants and toddlers, in a daycare center located on the second floor of the building. The nation is obsessed with the O.J. Simpson trial, in which the black actor and former football star is accused of stabbing to death his white wife and her friend. Simpson's high-profile legal team builds his defense around the issue of racial bias on the part of the cops. AIDS, which had first been identified as a disease that struck gay men, becomes the leading cause of death among all Americans, ages 25 to 44. By the end of the year, there will be over 500,000 cases reported in the U.S. And that year, the Pulitzer Prize for Drama went to Horton Foote's The Young Man from Atlanta. A drama about a white middle-class couple in their 60s struggling to cope with the early retirement he's been forced to take, the mysterious drowning death of their only son, and the feeling that the America they knew is slipping out of their control. My name is Jan Simpson. Welcome to All the Drama, a podcast about the plays and musicals that have won American theater's highest accolade. The Pulitzer Prize for Drama. Horton Foote was 79 years old when he won the Pulitzer. He had already written nearly four dozen plays and won two Oscars by that time. But the Pulitzer ended a long career slump for Foote, bringing him back to Broadway for the first time in 40 years and leading to the production of the nine-play cycle that many consider to be his finest achievement. Albert Horton Foot, Jr. was born in Wharton, Texas, in 1916. His mother was the daughter of the richest man in the county, but she fell in love and eloped with a man who came from a more humble background. He worked as a haberdasher, selling men's clothing. Horton, the oldest of the couple's three sons, spent most of his boyhood listening to the family stories his older relatives liked to tell, And dreaming of becoming an actor. When he turned 18, he told his parents he wanted to attend the acting school run by the Pasadena Playhouse instead of going to college. His father sold off some family land to cover the cost of the trip to California and the tuition at the Playhouse. But the next year, young Horton moved to New York and started studying with some of the Russian exiles who had worked with Stanislavski. He got a few small parts, including one in a play directed by Lee Strasberg, but he spent most of his time scrambling for work and hanging out with other young artists in Greenwich Village. After watching him improvise a scene based on memories of his childhood in Texas for a fledgling theater company, Foote's friend, the choreographer Agnes DeMille, suggested that he should consider writing a play. It turned out to be good advice. A workshop production of Foot's first one act was seen and praised by the theater critic for the New York Daily Mirror. And so, as his acting career stalled, Foote decided to get serious about writing. But that proved tough, too. He and another young Southern writer, Tennessee Williams, became friends and encouraged one another to keep at it. Foote made it to Broadway first in 1944. But his play, called only the Heart, only ran for 47 performances. The next year, Williams followed with The Glass Menagerie, which ran for two years and established him as a major voice in American theater. Foote would get five more plays on Broadway in the 40s and 50s, but none lasted longer than three months. Instead, he made his name and a very good living as one of the most successful writers during the first golden age of TV, creating teleplays for the Kraft Theater, the U.S. Steel Hour, and the Filco Playhouse, anthology series that were the prestige TV of their day. The Philco Playhouse presented the first version of The Trip to Bountiful, in which Lillian Gish played the aging widow Carrie Watts, who yearns to return to her small Texas hometown one more time before she dies. Then, in 1961, Foote was asked to write a film adaptation of Harper Lee's Pulitzer Prize-winning novel, To Kill a Mockingbird. It won him his first Oscar. He hadn't expected to win, and so watched the ceremony on TV at home in Nyack, New York where he lived with his wife, Lillian, and four children, his daughters, Hallie and Daisy, and sons, Walter and Albert Horton III, all of whom would follow their father in to the theater business. Twenty years later, Foote would win another Oscar, this time for Best Original Screenplay for Tender Mercies, a poignant character study of a recovering alcoholic country music singer. But the kind of well-crafted, intimate dramas that Foote wrote, fell out of favor in the late 1960s and early 70s. He got writing assignments here and there, but at one point, according to his biographer, Wilborn Hampton, Foote and his wife Lillian had just $600 in the bank and had to sell pieces of furniture to pay their bills. Foote considered giving up writing, But Lillian would have none of that. She insisted that he continue, and she got a real estate license to help support their family. He did keep writing, drawing constantly on the stories he heard as a boy and setting his plays in the fictional town of Harrison, a stand-in for his beloved hometown of Wharton. He wrote about how such small Texas communities were affected by reconstruction and its aftermath by the flu epidemic of 1918 and by the change from the old agrarian-based economy to one fueled by oil. Most of those plays stayed in his desk drawer until the mid-90s, and then he got a call from James Horton, the artistic director of Manhattan's signature theater company. Horton had started his company to showcase underappreciated American playwrights by devoting an entire season to each writer's work he had helped revive interest in Romulus Linney and Edward Albee, and now he wanted to do the same for Foote. Signature presented four Foot plays in 1994 and 1995. The third, inspired by the experience of one of Foote's aunts, was The Young Man from Atlanta. It centers on Will and Lily Dale Kidder, who have been such beneficiaries of the American dream that as the play opens in 1950, they've just moved into a new house costing $200,000, which would be about $2.5 million today. But fortune has turned against the kidders, and with the loss of Will's job, they don't know if they'll be able to stay in their dream home. But the true main character of the play is its title character who insists that he was a friend of their dead son. He never appears on stage, but this mysterious young man haunts the play with increasingly ominous letters and calls. After it won the Pulitzer, producers moved the young man from Atlanta to Broadway in 1997. It ran just 84 performances. But interest in Foote's plays continued, and in 2009, Eight months after Foote died, just ten days short of his ninety third birthday, Signature presented the Orphans' Home Cycle, a series of nine plays that told the story of Foote's extended family. Parts of the cycle could be viewed on different evenings, but the whole thing could be seen on Saturdays with breaks for lunch and dinner, which is how I was lucky enough to see it and to be knocked out by it. Ben Brantley, retired two years ago after serving for 25 years as theater critic for the New York Times, saw those performances too. And as a fellow Southerner, he is a longtime fan of Foote's work. So I'm delighted that Ben agreed to talk with me about Horton Foote and his Pulitzer Prize winning play, The Young Man from Atlanta. Hi Ben, welcome to All the Drama.
1: Thank you very much. I'm delighted to be here.
0: I am going to start by jumping right in. Why do you think the Pulitzer jury selected the young man from Atlanta in
1: 1995? I think to a certain extent, as is often the case with with the Pulitzers, this is a lifetime achievement award. Hortonfoot was 79 years old, yeah. I think, when he, when he got the prize. And there was a perception that this was the end of a, of a long and fruitful career. Well, as it turned out, he had another <laughs> dozen years ahead of him that would also be fruitful. But in any case, I do think it was perceived as sort of a, a summing up, uh, both of the, the committees and the American theater going public's gratitude to him Young Man from Atlanta is in some ways a very typical Horton Foote play. I mean, everything Horton Foote wrote is is typical of what he does. He had such a, a strong, strong signature and voice. I mean, I can practically talk in that voice because it's the voice I grew up with. Um, I always felt a great affinity for his people in Texas. So I came from from North Carolina and the kind of uh, front porch gossip that went on. But it's interesting. I've, uh, I've been thinking about it recently. I just reread The Young Man from Atlanta. It's not that I think it's a great play, although I think Corton is a great playwright. I think his achievement is in his body of work. I mean, I guess if I were in some, you know, platonic Pulitzer committee in the sky awarding these things, I would have given, him, given it to him for his Orphan's Home cycle, mm-hmm. uh, which was a nine-play cycle, all, mostly set his fictional town of, of Harrison, Texas, following one young man, Horace Ribideau's, uh path from, from birth and loss and, and looking for a home, which he never found. And then you get to the young man from Atlanta, which takes these themes and packages them in, in a sort of different way. Always with Horton Foote, it's the idea of home. Uh, that's the center of it, and I guess home, when he started writing uh, in the uh, late 40s, early 50s, was the sacred American institution above all things. And the heresy of of Horton's plays, although they're uh, very um, homey and and conventional, well structured, all that, is that home is a fiction, that it's not a place you'll ever find. A young man from Atlanta starts off with, there's a couple at the center, Will and Lily Del Kidder, with Will uh, in an office uh, talking to um, a company he's worked at for years and helped make, talking to his boss, uh, who is going to fire him. And we learn that uh, Will has just sunk hundreds of thousands of dollars into a new home, the finest house in Houston, And when we finally see that home, it's going to be filled with packing crates. And there's a sense that that these crates may never be unpacked. One thing I think might have got the jury's attention that year is they like echoes of earlier Mm -hmm. works or kind of confrontations that recall other times. And the first scene of Young Man from Atlanta is sort of a a Texas recasting of a famous scene from Death of a Salesman. And I do think Will Kidder and Willie Loman from Salesman have a certain amount in common. The interesting uh thing is that for what Miller was taking on was the um you know, with the, the falseness of the American dream. And that's just the starting point for Horton Foote. I mean, in his own gentle way, he is such a nihilist. Uh, it's, it's everything turns out to be false. All the illusions that these people thought they lived by, not only, um, you know, business and, you know, stick to and that kind of but marriage and religion and... Uh, and the sense that that you can can know anyone, even in your own family. So it's a very bleak play, but like all of his plays, it's written so entertainingly that you just kind of you know lie back and purr until you realize, wait a minute, this is really sad.
0: Now he had had though a career in the late forties, early fifties in the theater, and then there was a, a long break. Had you seen his work? Were you familiar with his work before you're seeing uh, the young man from Atlanta?
1: Yes, because I was re-familiarized with his work by the great signature theater company founded by James Houghton which was started in I think 1990 and it was each season would be devoted to sort of an undersung playwright that New Yorkers hadn't, hadn't been able to see a lot of recently and the season I arrived uh, they were doing Edward Albee which was just an amazing reopening of the door and then the subsequent season was, was Horton Foote so I saw a number of plays then I was but going way back of course even if I hadn't known him by name as a child I would have been familiar with him because of the movie of, of To Kill a Mockingbird, for which he won an Academy Award. And then later, the, the trip to Bountiful. He, I was too young to have experienced at that time the great things he was doing for television plays in the fifth. But I've, I've gone back and watched some of them. You can find them on YouTube. Uh, the Traveling Sales... Was it the Traveling Sales Lady, Kim Stanley. I mean, you know, this legend of theater that, of course, I never got to see. So that's that's so exciting. But yes, he did have... He won two Oscars, in fact. He did have a career outside of the theater. He also won an Oscar for, uh, for Tender Mercies. It's interesting. He reads as more sentimental on screen than on stage, to me. I know Pauline kale the film the critic... Uh, always thought he was too sentimental to be good but for me and especially if you see the works collectively he's sentimental in the way Beckett is in a weird way do you know what I mean his people you know keep trying to build create bulwarks against you know this encroaching sense of a vacuum and they fail but you know there's nobility in the attempt they go on
0: (laughs) why then don't We know him better today. He started out back there with Tennessee Williams and Arthur Miller, and those were his contemporaries and friends. He has an incredible body of work. Why isn't his name higher up there in the pantheon?
1: He's he's soft-spoken, unusually so. Uh, among playwrights, but also what I was saying earlier about there being you're not being able to pull out a single play and say this is a great play with Horton Foote. I think to really enjoy him, you have to immerse yourself as much as possible in his work. Uh, that's why what Signature did that first uh, year I was at the Times was such a, a blessing for me because you got to see play after play and hear the dialogue and how it's spoken. One of my favorite actors is Hallie Foote, Horton Foote's daughter. Who is? Um, she's not in the young man from. Wasn't in the young man from Atlanta. She would have been too young for the, uh, for the part of the wife in that. But she is a brilliant interpreter of of her father's work. So having been able to see her in all these things over the years too, uh, allowed me a kind of immersion, like Shakespeare, like August Wilson, like uh, Tennessee Williams. I think Horton Foote benefits from being heard. The greatest playwrights have their own music. Mm. You were asking why, perhaps, isn't he better remembered? Although I think he endures uh, more than, say, someone like William Inge does. But he was in no way groundbreaking, or he was very quietly groundbreaking. This is, has always been a culture that rewards the the noisy. And, you know, if Chekhov, to whom uh, Foot is often compared, uh, had 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 been American, would he have been acknowledged to the extent that he has been? Yeah, Foot, I, there was something I wrote about, uh, maybe it was a young man from Atlanta. I, I, I found the phrase, I said, what he writes are, ba- are plays that are short stories with the souls of tragedy. Hmm. And um, in that sense, he is like Chekhov. There's just kind of, everything seems so incidental, you know, as it's passing in a Horton-Foot play, so small scale. And yet, these monumental things are happening. Uh, at the same time. I mean, horrible things in some cases, you know.
0: And and he comes at things from the side. Uh, yes. I, I was really struck in um, The Young Man from Atlanta, although homosexuality is a real theme in that yes. it's never spoken, people no. never talk about it. That's sort of his approach, yes?
1: It is indeed, and it's also... Horton foot, I think is, is is as good at anyone at locating the particular cultural culture of denial that is so true of this country, but no, it's all oblique. No one ever says gay, no one ever says any of the you know more horrible words that would have been slung around mm-hmm. then but um, and the other thing is you don't trust anyone. There's not one entirely reliable narrator on that stage.
0: <laughs> he, as you said was honored with Oscars. He was a major person in the golden age of television. But he remained throughout his life, a man of the theater. I remember seeing him at signature Mm -hmm. and primary stages. Mm -hmm. And he would come and he would sit and he looked so happy to be there.
1: I never talked to him, he I, I got a couple of letters from him, which of course I cherish, but even I like you would see him at the theater and you're so right. I mean theater, I think, was ultimately his religion, and uh, even though he did work very successfully and, and with great reward in other uh, other uh, other artistic forms, I do think theater was his first language
0: in preparing for this, I looked and I saw that he's only had two Broadway production since winning the Pulitzer Prize and it's a shame that we don't have a a chance to see him in this main venue more.
1: There had been talk I know did you get you saw The Orphan's. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. um, Yes and there which was his his great achievement and it was actually he had been working on it when he died and Hallie Horton Foote's daughter, and Michael Wilson, the director, finished cutting and assembling and piecing together this three-nights, nine-play cycle. And it was thrilling for me to be able to see them all together and to sort of fall into that long narrative of, of, of one man's life. But there was talk, I think Jeffrey Richards was a producer who wanted to bring it to Broadway. I don't know why it fell through. It would have been incredibly expensive, uh, it was huge. Very
0: but, difficult to
1: do. But we did get Dividing the Estate. <laughs> That's important, but the funniest. And the trip to Bountiful. Oh, the course, with Cicely Tyson. It's amazing to me how, how everlasting that play turns out to be, because it's, it's one of the most overtly sentimental plays of his. Lillian Gesch created the part, I think, on television and then on, on stage. But, well, of course, Geraldine Page won the Oscar for the movie version of Trip to about again, about an old woman wanting to get back to home, and home doesn't exist. And then I saw Ellen Burstyn do it on stage when she was probably too young for it, but still was a a radiant presence. And then brilliant Lois Smith. Of course. uh, And brilliant Cecily Tyson. I mean, these really transporting performances.
0: (laughs) That may be the one that will continue to keep his name. In the conversation. And as, as actresses keep getting older, too. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. In the meantime, thank you so much for talking with me about Horton Foote and about his Pulitzer Prize winner, the young man from Atlanta.
1: Thank you so much, Dan. It was great fun.
0: And thank you for listening. I hope you'll come back next time and that you'll listen to all the other Broadway radio podcasts. And if you aren't already doing so, that you'll consider making a contribution to support our work, which you can do at patreon.com slash broadwayradio.